Welcome to the Grace Baptist Church podcast, and thanks for joining us for this episode. Before we begin, please take a moment to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you enjoy this content, please don't hesitate to leave us a five-star review and share this podcast with your friends. We'd like to extend an invitation to you and your family to join us for worship this week at Grace Baptist Church. We'd also love to connect with you online at gracekettering.org. Thanks again for joining us and enjoy the episode. Oh, praise the Lord. You know, it gets me excited. I don't know about you that there's going to come a day when that selfishness that's inside of us will be permanently extracted. (laughs) Can you imagine? Can you imagine to have your soul completely and permanently purged from that part of us that ruins everything? You know, um, as we take a look at things here this week and as we've been seeking him, really what we're after, what we've been pursuing is a little slice of heaven. You know, if you think about it, again, we talked about this um, here in this life, on this side of heaven, our experience is going to be an experience of discovery. And by discover, I mean we're going to discover our lack, right? Again, I, I, I know, I hope I'm not belaboring this too much here with you this week. Um, but, you know, as we discover that we don't have what we need... As I've been saying, we should not get discouraged by that. We should not run from God. Uh, uh, Because of that, we need to run to him. We need to come to him. Because I've said it before, I'll say it again, our lack is God's job description. And I may have said that earlier on this week, and you may have thought, oh, that's a profound thought. Oh, yeah, that's, that's kind of a good idea. Yeah, sure. I, yeah, amen. Praise the Lord. But I want you to understand that statement has been where I've been going all week long. It's not just where we start, realizing that God is the solution for our lack. That needs to not only be our starting point, it needs to be our goal Two, now you may not quite catch my drift yet, maybe you do, but you know, as we consider the fact that we, as we've been looking at all week long, are hopelessly in this life selfish individuals, as we've said, selfishness hides sin, right? Selfishness harbors resentment. Selfishness refuses to take God up on his offer to follow him to our deaths. We don't want to die. We don't want to give up that which we've latched a hold of. We don't want to live for him. We want to live for us. And sometimes when we come to the conclusion that we have great lack, it's easy for us to think that the only hope we have is heaven. Now, don't get me wrong. It's going to be great, okay? Victory in Jesus, final victory is coming, right? Final victory, total victory, complete victory, it is coming. 
You know, we've been singing about what God has given to us. There's going to come a day, as they just sang about, that we're going to fly away and we are going to be forever with the Lord. There we're going to be like Him. We're going to be without sin. With that selfishness will be removed. Isn't that glorious? But are we just supposed to sit on our hands and settle for a selfish life on this side of heaven? I would submit to you, uh-uh. Okay? Because I want you to understand that what God has promised to us one day in heaven isn't something you got to wait for. Now, don't get me wrong. Okay, this side of heaven is going to be different than that side. Okay, that side, it's all over. Okay, it's been permanently removed, if you know what I'm saying. But on this side of heaven, there is a provision that is little slice of heaven. Um, and I don't know about you, if you here this week have been listening, if you here this week have been digging in, making decisions and letting God put his finger on those areas of selfishness, you may have been tempted to get discouraged. And you may have been tempted to think, oh no, there is no hope for me. But I want you to know tonight I have some good news for you. You know, Alex shared his testimony, and in his testimony, he came to grips with the good news that his sins could be forgiven. He could have eternal life through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, and that's some pretty good news, isn't it? Aren't you glad you don't have to work for it? Aren't you glad you don't have to earn it? Aren't you glad that once you get it, you always have it? Aren't you glad that God doesn't give it and then say, ha, I fooled you and take it away again? God is a good God. He has promised and committed to us who have relied upon him to give us everlasting life. In fact, we can say we have it right now because he said, that if we have the Son, we have eternal life. And so, yet, <clears throat> that news is good news, but we have good news for now. The good news is not just uh, the news of heaven one day. It's not just the news of getting to go there. It's not just the news that one day sin will be purged. We don't just have hope for then. We have hope for now. Turn with me to the book of Galatians, please. The book of Galatians, we're going to be looking specifically in chapter number 5, but I'm going to give a little bit of background before I dive into that. The book of Galatians is given, and really the passion behind the letter, this is a letter after all, is a passion regarding the good news. I'm not going to go through the entire book, except maybe to summarize a little bit. There were some individuals there that were getting a little bit mixed up when it comes to the good news news. There are people who were convinced that, hey, it's great that you can trust Christ to get you eternal life, but once you've got eternal life, well, you need to continue. You need to do a certain set of things and live up to a certain standard and abide by certain protocols in order to experience what God has for you. If I could summarize the book of Galatians, I would summarize it this way. There are two paths. Throughout the entire book, he uses different words and different phrases to describe these two paths, but it is in every set of 
uh, opposites in every contrast. It is contrasting and comparing these two paths. On the one hand, there is one path that you could follow to get to heaven, or this path you could also follow to please God, to do right, to live right, to be what God wants you to be, to pass the test with God, you could say. And on this side, there are all kinds of words used throughout the letter, words like law, words like works, words like being a slave, words like bondage. And on this side of the equation, path number one, behind door number one, okay, pathway number one is a pathway of human effort. It is a pathway of a list of rules that if you do this list of rules by your own effort, you will achieve the desired outcome, except here's the only problem with that. You won't achieve the desired outcome. In fact, the result of following this path of human effort in order to accomplish a list of rules, the outcome of this path is bondage, it is death, and it is certainly not hope or victory. But there's another path. Oh, another word over here is flesh. That's where I talk about the whole matter of human effort. On this side, though, there is another way. And throughout the letter, uh, Paul is describing this second path. He's trying to convince them that path over there is no good. That path over there doesn't work. This path will do nothing but bring you into bondage. This path will do nothing but show you even further that you can't do it. And it's a path that can lead to frustration. It's a path that can lead to defeat. It's a path that leads, well, for those who are lost to hell, but on this side, there are a number of words that he uses to describe this path. These are words like spirit, words like promise, words like inheritance, words like liberty. On this side of the equation, it's not about human effort. It's about divine enablement. On this side of the equation, it's not about what man can do. It's about what the Spirit of God can do. On this side of the equation, it's not about a list of rules. It's about a real relationship with God. On this side of the equation, the result and the product is true liberty, freedom. And I'm by freedom. I don't mean, hey, I can go out and do whatever I want by freedom. I I mean that unleashed ability to fulfill God's expectation and to love it. Throughout the letter, again, I do not have time to develop all of his arguments. I don't have time to trace each, uh, each illustration that he gives but that's, that's the basic point. And, and, you know, he says in chapter 3, again, don't, I mean, you could turn there if you want to, but at the beginning of the chapter, he says this, O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you? Who swindled you? Who's pulled the wool over your eyes that you should not obey the truth? Before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath been evidently set forth, crucified among you. This only what I learned from you of you. Received ye the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? 
And the obvious answer to that is the second one, right? They received the Spirit by the hearing of faith. He says, are you so foolish? Having begun in the Spirit, are you now made perfect by the flesh? He says in verse 5, at the end of the verse, he said, This person doeth he it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith. Again, there's a bunch of words there that are so important. You've got works, uh, works versus uh, spirit. You've got flesh and spirit. You've got faith and works. All of these words are describing the two paths. Again, I, like I said, I don't have time to develop all of these, but as you go throughout the letter, I would urge you sometimes maybe get two different markers, two different colors, and highlight the, the different words words and concepts that describe pathway number one and and in a different color highlight all the words that describe pathway number two and you'll see that where he's going is he's trying to tell him stay off of this path and get over here on this path and as we get into chapter five again there's so much I've literally spent like a whole year studying through this letter and writing all kinds of stuff down. And this is somewhat of the, the culmination of that study. But we get, when we get down to chapter number five, verse number one, Paul says this, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty, this side, wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Okay, I want you to understand this because I think sometimes people get a little confused about the letter to Galatians. Again, it's about the two paths, but the two paths are applied to two different problems. Problem number one is that I'm a sinner on my way to hell. I've broken God's law. I've committed crimes against God. I deserve a severe punishment in hell for all of eternity because I have sinned. God's justice demands that I be punished. And when I recognize that problem, I can solve it two ways. I can go down uh, pathway number one through works, a list of rules, human effort, and try my hardest to please God. And you know where I'll end up if I do that? The lake of fire. And so will you. But if I instead recognize the fact that Jesus loved me and he died on the cross for my sins and he paid the price, and if I instead of working, trying, trying to keep a list of rules, will come to Jesus and count on his provision, on what he has done for me, if I'll stop trying and start trusting, then I can have eternal life by no effort of my own. That was problem number one. But problem number two is this can't please God. I can't pass God's test. Throughout the week, I'm sure, as you've been thinking about the problem as I have phrased it this week, and the problem being, I'm not a loving person. I'm selfish to the core. I wonder if some of us have tried to be more loving. I won't ask for a raise of hands, but maybe perhaps throughout your day, Maybe with your children, right? Those snot-nosed little brats, right? Just kidding, all right? <laughs> with your kids or your coworker, or maybe even your spouse, you know. Maybe something happens and maybe you thought about the preaching and you thought, don't be selfish, don't be selfish, don't be selfish. Don't say that thing you think, even though, man, that's a good singer. Don't raise your voice like that. Don't use that tone of voice. That wouldn't be loving. And maybe you tried. And you tried, 
and you tried. And maybe you came to the conclusion that I've come to, that don't work. Oh, it might work for a little while, but really it doesn't work. And you might make it through an entire day not blowing up, speaking up, spitting up, I don't know. You might not do some of the things, but you know deep down inside that's not freedom. In fact, it feels a little bit more like bondage, doesn't it? That's because this path cannot love. If you try to love going down this path, it ain't going to work. It is not going to work. And what Paul is saying is essentially in verse number one, in fact, let me, let me say this, to try to love on this path is bondage. To add a bunch of tricks of the trade, like, you know, count to ten before you say something you're going to regret, that don't work. I mean, it's just going to be ten more seconds before you say it. You know what I'm saying? That doesn't even solve the problems in the heart. This path doesn't work. And he's saying in verse number one here, stand fast in the liberty, wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again. It's as if he's saying, in what we looked at in, verse, in chapter three, it's as if he's saying, okay, problem number one, the fact that I'm a sinner on my way to hell, you can figure out how to get on the right path for that problem. But when it comes to the second problem, you can go to this path to solve that second problem. And just like this path didn't solve problem number one, this path won't solve problem number two either. Are you following me? Is this making sense? Okay, why, Okay. so in, as we go throughout this chapter, as we take a look at what Paul says, what God says unto us, we've got to keep the two paths in mind. It is a dichotomy. It's not a false dichotomy. There is one path or the other. One path doesn't work. The other path works every single time. So that being said, jump down with me to verse number 13 of chapter 5. In verse number 13, he says this. He says, for brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. Path one or two. Path number two, the good path. He says, God has called you to be on this path. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh. But look at this last phrase. But by love serve one another. You know what he did? He added another product to this path. Okay? He said, listen, when you're on this path, this path is not only a path of liberty, this path is a path of love. And as if he can almost read our minds and the way we think of love as just being an emotion, as just being a sloppy sentimentality, he even defines what he means by that, by love, serve one another. And he gives a for statement, F-O-R, in the next verse, and he tells us why this path is so important and why love is so essential to this path. He says, for all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Now, you may not catch my drift in where I'm going here quite yet, but let me just say this. Throughout this book, the word law 
has been largely associated with this path right here. In fact, when I was studying this um, a couple years ago, it was almost like every time Paul wrote the word law in this letter, he had a frown on his face. Law, 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 law. Okay? And it would have been real easy for you coming into this point in the letter to think, law, bad. See, the reason why is because when we typically think of law, we think of a list of rules that we have to do. And what he's doing here is he is recasting our conception of law, and he's trying to, in a certain sense, make us think about it differently. Listen, the law is not a list of things that you need to do in your own strength, but instead it is a revelation of the expectation of God. And if you're just trying to keep a list of rules, you will not fulfill God's expectations, but if you will, by love, serve one another, if you will love thy neighbor as thyself, it says this, if you will pursue love, if you will live love, if love, true love, will flow out of you, guess what? You have fulfilled God's expectations. I know that's essentially what I preached on in Sunday morning. I just want you to see it in the text here. This isn't just a one-off concept. This is something that is strung from one end of the Bible to the other. Love, listen, if you are loving, you will do what God wanted. If you have true love in your heart, if love is gushing through your life in whatever situation you're in, in whatever interaction you might have with other people, if that love is active in you, you will fulfill God's expectation. Um, in fact, if we, uh, well, let, let's go ahead and, and put it to you this way. But, but here, here's the rub, right? Laws over here. Love is over here. This side doesn't work. This side does, and it's amazing. How do we do that? Right? How do we do that? How do we get over here when it comes to problem number two, or selfishness? How do we get over here when it comes to pleasing God? Because if you're like me all week, we know we need to love but we just can't seem to do it, right? We know we ought to love our neighbor as ourselves, but we come up dry. We don't feel like it. It's just not happening. It seems elusive. And the harder we try, the more it doesn't work. Okay. Just see this. Liberty is associated with love. Path number two. Love fulfills God's expectation, gets an A plus on the test. Jump down to verse number 16 here in the passage. Here's what Paul says. This I say then. I really do believe that what I'm about to read is the apex of this epistle. What I'm about to read, what I'm about to read to you here tonight is the boots on the ground command that causes 
you to get on path number two. It is the key that puts into the lock that unlocks the love in your heart. It is that which causes us to no longer be striving to love, but is accessing a love that is alien to our own. He says this, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Talk about the lust of the flesh, the desires of the flesh. I think it'd be real easy to just substitute the word selfishness for that, right? Listen, if you walk in the Spirit, the promise of God is you will not fulfill the selfishness in your heart. God will overcome that selfishness. God will overcome that seemingly endless bent to just choose me over others. The solution is to walk in the Spirit. And I would argue to you here tonight that walking in the Spirit is essential to love. When I say essential, I mean you cannot have biblical love without walking in the Spirit. You can fake it, but like I think I said at some point this week, it'll be a cheap Chinese knockoff, okay? It won't work. Why is it essential? A couple reasons I want to give you as far as your notes here this evening. Number one, because of God's high standard. As we've already seen, God expects you to love and God expects you to serve. When we love, we will fulfill the law, and yet if we try, we won't. Does that make sense? Okay? It, the expectation, God's high standard is not just for us to love and have emotions. God's high standard is for us to serve. The idea of that word serve is literally slavery. You could say it is a death to living for me anymore. It is taking my freedoms, my rights, and my ability to determine my own future. And it is dying to them like we talked about last night. Listen, there's so many stories from history I could tell. There have been people who've sold themselves into slavery to win people to Jesus Christ. There have been individuals who have, again, we get an illustration in the Old Testament of a servant who loved his master at the time when he was going to be set free who would volunteer to stay behind because of the love he had for his master and he would have his ear put in an awl, would punch a hole in his ear and that was a sign that he was dying to his right to go his own way and to do his own thing and to live his own life and I I want you to understand that God's high standard for every one of us, every one of us, whether you're a deacon, whether you've been here for 50 years or five weeks, God's standard for every single one of us, whether you're 80 years old or 18 years old, is that he wants us to fulfill God's expectations, to love, he wants us to serve but I want you to know this is essential not only because of God's high standard, but also because of the scary alternative. Um, look down at verse number 19. Again, I'm going to try to piece some of these pieces together here for the moment here. I'm, I'm trying to pull several threads together. In verse number 19, he says this. He says, now the works of the what? Okay, notice that word works. 
works. That is key for understanding what he's talking about here. I think oftentimes that when we look at this verse, you've all, many of you have read this verse before. I think oftentimes when we see that phrase, the works of the flesh, our brains register the word flesh more than we register the word works. But I want you to understand both of those are essential. This is not just the works of the flesh. It's the works of the flesh. And both of those words are associated with this path right here. He says this, the product of human ability. It says the works of the flesh are manifest. The idea of that word manifest is to become apparent, to come to light, to be revealed. And he's saying this, if we live and do our very best to pursue God's expectations, to live according to path number one, the works, the attempts to live and do according to our own human inability will reveal themselves. They will make themselves apparent. Um, you know, uh, a few years ago, I was getting ready for uh, our big The Generation Youth Summit up in Wisconsin. And um, at that time, we had our missions conference. It was back-to-back with our youth summit. In fact, the, uh, the middle service was actually a dual service. It was the last service of our missions conference and the first service of our youth summit. I say all of that to say that I was getting prepared for the night in our trailer. My wife was, you know, doing her hair, and my son Jude was in the bathroom also, kind of getting dressed and everything. And, and I got a notification, not on my phone, but from my wife. And the notification was a very untimely and unwelcome one. My wife said, Bobby, the bloop is happening. You say, the what? <laughs> okay, there's something you got to understand about RV life. Okay, we have a number of appliances in our trailer. We got a fridge, we got a furnace, we got air conditioners, and we have a sewage system, okay? Toilets and black tanks. And there's this, there's this, this real unfortunate law of physics that matter compounded upon itself takes up more and more volume. And, and what can happen in, in certain parts of the trailers over time, there are deposits, shall we say, <clears throat> that are deposited into a certain reservoir, shall we say. <clears throat> it's, it's a tank of sorts, and the little phrase we used to deter talk about it is the black tank, okay? Um, brown tank might be a little bit more precise, but you know. <clears throat> and, and there's another thing about RV toilets that's different than regular residential toilets. Residential toilets, typically, <clears throat> when you flush them, water comes into the bowl and everything goes down and you never see it again. In RV toilets, it's different. First off, it's gravity-fed. There is a little thing that goes like this, and stuff goes down, a straight pipe into a holding tank, okay? When the level of that holding tank gets up to a certain point and encompasses the bottom of that chute, you now have a vacuum in that chute. So when it goes like this, you get a bloop. And that is a signal. That is a signal that you have a very short period of time before you have to empty that said reservoir, okay? Well, here's the problem. It wasn't just a bloop. 
You see, I had been ignoring the bloop for a day or two. And so, <clears throat> when we went to the toilet, when we pushed the little foot pedal, I saw, just an inch or so below the little thing, a, um, I saw stuff. <laughs> and I thought, you have got to be kidding me. Uh, just, I remind you, this was the end of missions conference. We had all kinds of missionaries at church. This was like probably an hour before the service. Okay, we had teenagers coming from all over the country to come to this special event, and I've got a crisis on my hands of massive proportions. And okay, and I also have to mention this, I'm parked in the middle of the church parking lot. <laughs> and I do not have a direct access to sewage. I have to get out a long garden hose and have a macerator. And it's, I'll just say, it's a whole production that involves me marching back and forth and people walking by saying, what are you doing there, preacher? And me saying, go away. I think I've only said that once, but um, so here I am, I'm dealing with this. And what gets worse, okay, what gets worse is I go outside, I get all of my rigging and equipment and hose and everything in place, and I have a valve that I pull, and I went to pull that valve, and you know what happened? Nothing. Normally I have a clear little pipe and I can see what comes down. I pulled the valve and nothing. Oh boy. And I realized I'm, I'm going to have to do something. Now, my RV was equipped with a, a, flush, uh, a flush valve. And essentially what that means, not a valve, but a flush thing. Essentially what I do is I get another hose and I screw it in and I turn on the water source. And what happens is a spray nozzle causes that water to spray inside of that holding tank. And what that often can do is it can break up something that may be stuck and cause stuff to come down. Again, I'm sorry, you all don't need to re ever revisit your stuff, but I do on a regular basis, and my families, and any guests that come over. But anyway, so here I am, I got that hose, and I screw it in, and I turn on the water source, and I'm standing there, and I'm watching him, and I'm standing there, and I'm watching it, and nothing's happening. And so I started to do a couple other things, and think, okay, that's going to come down here any minute here, and I remember I lost track of time. And my wife said, hey, Bobby, can you come inside here? There's something a little weird happening. And I went inside, and she said, I have never seen this before. There is water leaking from under our sink. Okay, the sink is over here. The toilet's all the way over here. And so I'm like, well, that's really weird. I wonder why that is. I open up the cabinet underneath the sink, and sure enough, I see just a little drip, 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 drip coming from there. And I thought, oh, no. I forgot to turn off that water. It's been building pressure this whole time. That's why it's leaking. Oh, no. And I was about ready to go outside. Now, let's pause for a second. Here's the scene. My wife is curling her hair in front of the mirror in the bathroom. My son, Jude, is standing right behind her. He, at that time, was like two, three years old. And here I am. And on my way out, I thought, let me just see where the level is underneath the little this thing. So I took my foot and I pushed it down. Goosh! A brown geyser shot up out of my toilet bowl, got all over our towels, got all over my son, got all over the shower, got all over the floor, and we had a sewage explosion. Jude looks up at me and said, that was fun. Well, you know, in that, in that setting, 
I let the pressure build and the pressure build and the pressure build and the pressure build. And when I released it, sewage burst out. And that's an awful lot like a Christian who is trying to fulfill God's intention in his own strength, the works of the flesh. You know, it's interesting to me, I really do believe that the more conservative you are and the harder you try to obey on path number one, the more the pressure builds. The more the pressure builds, and what happens is at some point, in some way, it becomes apparent and it all comes out. Here, this verse says, the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. Here's what comes out. Here's what explodes out of self-dependent Christians. Adultery. Fornication. Uncleanness. Lasciviousness and a complete unrestrained lifestyle idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, that's a party spirit, heresies, that's extreme division, we've got envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like. You know, friends, I want you to understand that Path number two is not just a path that leads you to not loving. It's a path that leads you to an explosion of selfishness. I've talked this week at numerous times and moments uh, about how some of the most seemingly godly Christians can do some of the most heinous things. And I personally think this verse explains why. Because it's coming out. When we live according to the works of our flesh, you can look great. And it may not come out in public. It might come out in your home. It might not come out in public. It might explode towards your kids. It might explode in a rush of passion. But it's coming out. And some of the most godly people can have some of the most putrid explosions out of their lives. I think sometimes these folks are well-meaning. I think sometimes these folks, perhaps in their minds, think they're doing the right thing. Well, I just want to do what God says. I just want to obey God. I just want to fulfill his expectation. I'm trying. Come on, I'm trying. I'm trying. And yet, deep down inside, they know they're failing. And that buildup of pressure leads to goosh. Listen, walking in the Spirit is essential. It is essential. Because of God's high standard and because of the scary alternative. But not only is walking in the Spirit essential, it is also simple. There's a couple things I want you to see here in this passage. Verse number 16, this is the first verse that we looked at here that actually talks about this concept. What it says is this, I say then, walk in the Spirit. That word walk is an interesting wor word. It has the idea of putting one foot in front of the other. In fact, if you think about it, if you at the end of this service are to get up and go to your car, I think most if not all, you, all of you are going to walk there. And by that I mean you take continuous steps, right? 
Never at one point from when you leave this room to where you get to your vehicle, if you do not stop, will you stop walking? In other words, if you're going to move from point A to point B the whole time, you're going to be putting one foot in front of the other. Listen, at no point, I guarantee, will you levitate off the ground and float 15 feet. No. I don't think any of you are going to, from the door jam between the lobby and the auditorium, jump all the way into the seat of your car. That's not how it works. It requires, moment by moment, continuous stepping. And what he's saying here is whatever we're talking about, whatever this matter of path number two is, it is a Walk. It is something that must happen continuously. There are some folks in churches and theological systems out there that teach that there is a point in time, a moment in time, when you make some choice and some decision and instantly, instantly, you are forever freed from the selfishness that's inside of you. It's a moment in time where you are forever completely radically changed. Listen, friend, there is a moment in time it's going to be the rapture when Jesus comes and gets us. That is going to change everything. But until that day, there is no one point in time where you can make one single decision that will cure every subsequent moment in time of your flesh in this life. I want you to understand that if you are going to experience the reality of path number two on this side of heaven, whatever it is, it's got to be continued moment by moment, step by step. It's not something you do in the morning and then at the evening and forget about everything in between. It must be done at 8 a.m., 8.01 a.m., 8.02 a.m., and every a.m. throughout the a.m. and then the p.m.s too, okay? All day long, every moment. This walk involves the spirit. We'll say more about that here in just a second. But again, remember, that word spirit is associated with track number two, path number two. Look down at verse number 18. Here he says essentially the same thing, but he uses a couple of different words to communicate and to expand for us what it means to walk in the Spirit. And again, I think the idea of walk communicates the idea of it. It's a continuous thing. But in verse number 18 he says, But if ye be led of the Spirit, ye are not under the law. Now, again, that last part of the verse, essentially the idea of that is you are going to fulfill what God wants without being under the curse of the law, without being under the condemnation of the law. There's going to be another phrase a little later that's going to uh, corroborate that, but for the time being, just follow me. So if, if the first part of this walking has to do with a continuous something, here he tells us what the something is that must be continuously done. We must be led. By the Spirit. What does that mean? Well, that means that you need to be listening. That means you need to be listening. You know what? All day, every day, you need to keep your ear open for the still small voice in your heart. 
Oh, don't get me wrong. God has given us the word of God to guide us. It is a light unto our feet and a guide unto our a light unto our guide unto ah, however that verse goes. All right. It is going to show us the next step. The word of God is absolutely essential, and the Spirit of God is going to use the word of God. But listen, friends, the book that I hold in my hand is not a dead book. It's a living book because the Spirit of God takes it and uses it in our heart throughout our day. And not only does He use it, He applies it. He ha He He shows us God's will throughout our day. And if we will continuously, moment by moment, step by step, keep our ear out for the promptings and leadings and movings of the Spirit of God. That's path number two. But listen, I think oftentimes we're not interested in hearing. We don't want to hear. I had an amazing revelation one day. I realized that in my iPhone, there's a settings section called notifications. And I realized in that section, I could go and I could flip off notifications for certain apps. Have any of you discovered that? Oh, it's amazing. It's liberating. I'll tell you what, Instagram has been turned off for years. Facebook has been turned off for years. There are a lot of apps that when they pop up, when you first install it and say, would you like to enable notifications? I look at it and I say, not today, sucker, and hit no. You ain't gonna rule my life phone. You ain't gonna interrupt me when I'm in the middle of a conversation and make me pull out the phone to see what my phone is trying to tell me about. No, you don't. That's what we do with the Holy Spirit sometimes. Instead of listening. Oh, sometimes we hear. Sometimes we listen. Certain time of life, certain major crisis, we flip the notifications on because you know what? We're desperate. But there are other times when we say, you know what, I want to have fun here. Flip. And we aren't interested in listening anymore. We got to listen. But you know what? We got to do more than listen. Listen, as we're walking throughout the day, every step, continuously throughout our day, we need to be listening, keeping an ear out for what he says. And you know what? When he speaks, guess what? We got to say yes. Listen, admit it. You've heard the Spirit speak and you said no, haven't you? I know I have. There have been times when in the middle of your day, maybe you're out on a grocery run, maybe you're doing a, some other kind of errand, or maybe you're at home alone and the Spirit of God puts something on your heart. And for one reason or another, because it's a little bit inconvenient or maybe a lot inconvenient, you say, no. No, I'm too busy. No, I really don't want to do that right now. Nah. And we dismiss it. Speaking of notifications. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> you got to say yes. And you know what? It's not just enough to say, yes, I intend on doing that. You've got to actually go. You've got to actually go. Intentions are great. But intentions don't get the job done. Listen, there's the parable of Je Jesus said that he had a father who had a son who told one of his sons to go. And the son said, yes, he had good intentions, but he didn't end up doing it. The other son said no, but he ended up doing it. Listen, why don't we say yes to both? 
Why don't we say yes at the beginning to God and then follow through and actually do what he wants us to do? Listen, I want you to understand, you might say, Mr. Bosler, preacher, you're just replacing one list of rules with another. No, what I'm doing is I'm replacing a list of rules with a relationship with God that's real. That's all day long. And this relationship with God is one that says, not my will, but thine be done. It's a relationship that moment by moment throughout my entire day is totally surrendered to God to lead me however he sees fit. See, to be led by the Spirit is to be listening, keeping an eye and ear out to his leadership and promptings. It is saying yes to what he directs and actually following what he says. He says, if ye be led of the Spirit, if he speaks and you say yes, if you let him call the shots in throughout your day, I will tell you what, according to God's word, he says you won't be under the law. In fact, in just a minute, and we'll see this, we'll, we'll develop this a little bit more uh, down in verse number 22. He says, but the fruit of the Spirit. You know what I believe that's talking about? Here's what happens. Here's what comes out. Here is what is born, produced in a heart that is walking in this moment by moment. Yes, sir, I'm going to do what you want me to do. Relationship with the Holy Spirit. Look at the first one. The works of the Spirit. Uh, the work, I'm sorry, the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love! Isn't that what we've been talking about all week? Look at the end of the list. Look at the end of the list. Verse 23, meekness, temperance, he's continuing. Notice the phrase at the end, against such. There is no law. Guess what? While you're moment by moment walking, listening, saying yes to God, taking steps of obedience, What's going to happen is a divine product will happen in your life. This list, this matter of love, this matter of joy, this matter of peace and all the rest. And when we live in this constant moment by moment relationship of listening, yielding, saying yes, the product of our life will be unimpeachable. It will be uncondemnable. The law will not Find any fault with a life that is completely yielded to the Holy Spirit of God. Listen, this matter of walking in the Spirit, it is total surrender. We've seen the idea of walk, which is continuous. The idea of being led by, which is the idea of listening and saying yes. And then the idea, of, in fact, jump down to verse number 25. He says, if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk. And this is a different word for walk. It has the idea of keep in step with. In other words, it's almost a picture of the Spirit is walking and we're walking right alongside of Him. And guess what? If He speeds up, we speed up. If He slows down, we slow down. In fact, it's a military term, has the idea of keeping formation. In other words, when the Spirit speeds up, you better speed up. The Spirit of God is your reference point. I've got to wrap this up here. As we look at this, I want you to understand it is 
total surrender. Walking in the Spirit is total surrender, moment by moment, step by step. And it is also total dependence. Listen, the fruit that is born is a fruit that this track could never produce. It's a fruit, it is a product that our greatest efforts could never create. It is, the fruit is not ours. It is God's. And that means, listen, this is not just a matter of total surrender. It's also a matter of total dependence. I am not only listening and saying yes. I am counting, relying on the Holy Spirit who lives inside of me to bear a fruit that I could never bear, to do a work in me that I could never work, and to produce in me a supernatural, divine love. The love that will be produced will not be your love. It will be God's love in you. There's so much more that I could say here today. But if I can say this, walking in the Spirit is not only essential and simple, it's also victorious. As we've seen in verse number 16, you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. This walking in the Spirit overcomes the flesh. It overcomes or counteracts our selfishness. It accesses God's love. It's not a matter of you trying to be more loving. It's a matter of you yielding to the Spirit of God and depending on Him. And it fulfills God's intentions. When I first began to discover this truth, I'd heard a lot of preaching about surrender and depending on God. But I'll be perfectly honest with you, in many ways, it was a formula. In many ways, it was just a matter of surrender to the generalities or even the stated verses in Scripture, which, don't get me wrong, we must do. And I even understood that the, the Holy Spirit was the key he was the enabler, the comforter, the one who would come alongside and help. I understood those things. But in a new and fresh way, when I studied this passage, I realized in more ways than just a cliche that this matter of victory, this matter of love, is a matter of relationship. What I think some of us have done who've heard good teaching and preaching on maybe what we would call the victorious life, the spirit-filled life, what I think sometimes we do is we want the power of the spirit without a relationship with God. And that's not going to work. You know, this whole passage, and I, I do want to challenge you to, to take some time and meditate on this section of Scripture. There's much more that I could say that I don't have time to say here this evening. But as we've been thinking about our theme here this week, God has shown us our lack. Not so that we can try harder to do better, but so we can come to Him, remember, and he will supply our lack? Oh boy. That's not just a good suggestion for something to do in an invitation. It's Bible for how we ought to live every moment of every day 
of our Christian lives. If you walk out of here tonight thinking, i got to try harder to be more loving, you missed it. But if you walk out of here tonight thinking, you know what? I need to completely surrender my life to God, not just the issues, but moment by moment, day by day, listening, being willing to say yes and follow through with obedience and dependence on my leader. And as I do that, what's going to come out of me ain't going to stink anymore. What's going to come out of me is going to be God's amazing love that never fails. Can I have your head bowed and every eye closed here this evening? I know throughout this week, perhaps it's been a bit of an unusual meeting in that we've had a theme and a thread we've tried to weave from the start to the finish here today. I trust the Spirit of God is putting the pieces together for you here tonight. And I know this is going to be a lifetime pursuit. It's going to be something you're going to continue to grow in and learn about but listen, as much as I'm looking forward to heaven, and I sure am, I've got people there that are waiting for me. I'm so thankful that the good news gives me hope for today. And friends, it gives you hope for today. What I'd like to do is I'd like for everyone to stand here this evening. If everyone could please stand. In just a moment, we're going to have an invitation. And our invitation is going to be this. Listen, all week long, you've been challenged. God, the Spirit of God has been putting his finger on your lack. He's been showing you the depths of your depravity and selfishness. And what I want to invite you to do here this evening, in just a moment, I am going to invite you to stop. And to say, God, I'm listening. I'm listening. Open your heart to that real moment-by-moment relationship and determine tonight that whatever he says, you will say yes. And you will depend upon him to bear in your heart his love. I can say by my own testimony, it works. In a moment... I don't have a piano to play here this evening, but I'm going to invite you either if you'd like to come to the front or if you'd like just to sit down in, your, in the pew and have a conversation with God. But when I say the word, I want you to do what God would have you to do here tonight. So if God is speaking to you right now, go ahead and do what he'd have you to do. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To learn more about Grace Baptist or how to have eternal life, visit gracekettering.org. And remember, you are always welcome at Grace Baptist Church.